Hi everyone and welcome to Decrypt. My name is Nick Rice and today we'll be talking about what's going on with global cyber regulations. And to cover this topic, I've invited Jim Fitzsimmons, who's our APAC Cyber Practice Lead. Hey Jim. Hey Nick. Hey, and uh, also Stina Connor, our Principal Threat Intelligence Analyst based out of Copenhagen in Europe. Hey Stina, how are you doing? Hey Nick, hi Jim. So I think we should dive right in this topic and it's incredibly complex, but we've been hearing more and more about compliance and regulations in the world of cybersecurity. And I wanted to start with understanding what your respective take on the topics are from both your regional perspective, but also globally what you've seen and what you've heard people are dealing with in this space. And, and maybe we can start with you, Stina. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a massive topic that we're addressing today. I think I can I can kind of touch on where, where Europe sits in this. I think globally, certainly over the last couple of years, what we're really talking about and, and what clients are asking about is that kind of divergence in terms of broad regulations covering data, covering cyber, various other kind of aspects of, of that problem. I think in Europe, certainly GDPR is at the center stage of that and has been for quite some time. But I think really picking up uh, also, much broader uh, regulation in in these fields related to data, but also elsewhere, digital platforms, solutions, new technologies with the AI Act, data governance, um, but also very much in the kind of cybersecurity space uh, as well. So there's there is a lot going on um, from 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 where I'm sitting at least. And Jim, you're seeing the same thing on your end. Yeah, and actually, Nick, I mean, you know, for us in the Asia-Pacific region, China has really been at the forefront of developing these kinds of regulations. And what we've seen in the region is that in many cases, it's really driven primarily around national security issues. So for all these economies, as they tra transition and technology becomes much more central to business, the regulators are catching up. And so we see regulations, you know, broadly consistent with some of the principles around GDPR, because that's really a foundational regulation around personal data. And that's really swept across the Asia Pacific region very, very quickly. But also what we're starting to see is regulation around cybersecurity and that aspect where some of the critical infrastructure, you know, organizations, their, how they, you know, use technology and how they process information is becoming increasingly regulated in the context of that cybersecurity risk. It's really interesting you both referred to GDPR as probably the inception, because Jim, if I'm correct, China was probably a bit earlier in releasing that regulation and that sort of focus on, on data protection and, and cybersecurity as a regulatory framework. Do we see still GDPR being the leading influential piece of regulation? Is the philosophy that you're seeing across both regions, but also in, in the Americas potentially, one that looks to echo GDPR, or is there divergences in some areas? And and if so, what what are these divergences? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt that that it is foundational, that it is still a principal kind of objective, and, and and really has an influence. You know, we can talk about what's happening in Europe, and obviously moving from um, implementation and and kind of to enforcement and all of these aspects of it. But it's also impacting what others are doing. Exactly to Jim's point that you have to position yourself in one way or another to GDPR and, and that kind of foundational regulation. So I think that's that's really important. 
as as a kind of foundational aspect of, of everything that we talk about. And I think from the European perspective, that focus on data, even if we're talking about different aspects of regulation, the data point is really at the center of it. It's kind of feeding through to all these other areas of regulation as well. Uh, so, you know, it'll, it'll keep coming, um, certainly as, as that baseline. And that's the that's the normative power Europe kind of thing. I assume it's it's data in the European perspective is about citizens, is about protecting citizens. Is that also the case in other regulations, or, or are we seeing Jim maybe from your perspective something a bit different in Asia, where the where the intent and the motivations behind these regulatory frameworks might differ slightly? That's a good way to frame it, Nick, because you know we would say that you know like GDPR, for example. It enables the individual to take control of their information. But the personal information protection law in China really is about enabling the state and the party to manage that information on behalf of the country as a whole. And that's something that, you know, it's an interesting twist because the practical application of it can, you know, consent regulations, data minimization, um, you know, even to a lesser extent, some of the some of the more tactical security requirements, they're broadly consistent. But the the impetus behind it and how it's being applied is actually very, very different. You know, China's different in Europe and that, you know, China does have its homegrown tech giants that, you know, you know, companies like Tencent, you know, Alibaba, they literally have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of, of customers, clients, right? So for them, you know, when they're when they're managing data at that scale, you know, the Chinese state has looked at that and they look around that from a security perspective. And interestingly, and I don't know, Stina, if you have a perspective on this, but we see, you know, um, What's happening now in the U.S. when they're looking at TikTok and TikTok is a Chinese company that is seen as being, you know, the now the custodian of millions of Americans' personal information, and that's now being treated in the U.S. as a security issue. It's really, really interesting because, of course, in China it already is, and it's kind of an interesting contrast. Yeah, and I think that's a, such a good point in terms of where the kind of drivers for this is going, uh, both on the data and, and kind of privacy side, but also on the cybersecurity side. That it's you know, there is that piece that you talked about, Nick, around this is the protection and, and the kind of individual um, protection pieces is, is at the center. But there are these other aspects to it where data is very much at the, the center of geopolitical uh, relations, the center of being able to have that normative power. The, the kind of data sits very much within that space of of it's not just going to be about individuals it's not just going to be about protection actually it is it is an asset that that any state will will um need to to kind of position themselves or need to to have a strategy for that is more than than what happens at home it's interesting that you mentioned that national security point both of you because when we think about it in the global context does that not pose a fundamental challenge to the way we've conceptualized and most of our clients have conceptualized our businesses, which is, look, we're transnational, but by definition, national security and data localization creates or recreates boundaries that theoretically had been eroded by technology. So are you guys seeing these regulations and the securitization of the discussion around data as potentially a barrier to the technology ecosystem that organizations have built for four decades 
and the healthy flow or the unencumbered flow of data around the world? Or is it just another bit to deal with as a compliance requirement and we can find ways around it? I would say a little bit of both, Nick, and it, because, and this is something that our, you know, our clients in Asia are starting to look at just because the regulations there are moving at really at a breakneck speed. But what's interesting to think, and this is what we talk to our clients about, is that in some cases, if the information is regulated, you can't think that reg- that data is yours anymore. And what that means is that, so you may be the manufacturer of equipment that generates data that needs to be processed to make sure that something's being done, some, 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 you know, some manufacturing process or production process is working correctly. But that data in of itself is now regulated. It could be regulated because, you know, for example, in pharmaceuticals, the, the data around like the batch and, uh, and processing uh, and, you know, and, and, and development of the, of the medication that needs to be tracked and, and regulated a certain way. But also you can imagine in the context where you have you know, the personal data of hundreds of millions of people, and that can be used and abused in certain kind of ways, where that needs to be protected. And what we're starting to see is that as these regulations bleed out of like financial services and telecoms into areas like manufacturing, it becomes more complex because these organizations have never had to deal with this before. And so they always thought, oh, it's mine. So, so you know, I can get this data and, and, and that's and that's because it comes from my equipment, it comes from my customer and I need to manage it. Well, what, what we're seeing is that some regulators are saying, no, you can't do that because we cannot have a device like yours in a secure environment sending data out. And that's one of the challenges that we're, that we're seeing is that there's one aspect, if you're critical infrastructure, you're subject to these kinds of regulations, but also if you're selling to critical infrastructure, you become subject to these regulations as well. It's a, I want to print that sentence on a t-shirt. Sorry, Stina, well, I, I want to get back to you, but I really like what you said there, Jim, which is organizations need to understand that even though they're the theoretical data owners and creators, it may not be theirs anymore. And it goes back to, to Stina. I mean, I'm curious what you think about that, because certainly from a GR perspective, GDPR perspective, that aspect of being the data controller and the data processor is very, very different from the aspect of being the data subject. And in Europe, of course, that's the owner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just listening to you, Jim, there around this kind of perception that organizations have of, of who they are, essentially. So you know, data is critical part. But, you know, we've all also been talking about to, to clients about you know all all companies now are technology companies, right? You you can't bucket. You know, it's not IT and technology sits over there. It's you as much as it is, and it's the same with data. This is this is just a foundation of of so many different types of operations that you know they might not have seen seen themselves as as a, a kind of key. You know, the data is such a critical part, but but actually it is, and I think. One of the, the challenges in our challenges, but one of the, the things there as well is about understanding, particularly, I think, for, for organizations that is, is kind of headquartered or based in a setting where it has been very much focused on the individual. So looking at Europe, for example, where there is that privacy angle to start understanding what the other perspectives of this are, because the regulations is very much the, the front, the kind of sharp end of what, how do do different countries and different regions perceive data? What kind of value does it have? How is it treated? And understanding those distinctions and, and how that impacts what you actually do, what data you hold, which might be very benign or, or you know, a, a straightforward or straightforward in the sense of, you know, how, how straightforward these things can be in Europe might be a very different matter um, to your operations in, in Asia or in, in, in the US or whatever else um, it might be. So I think that's, 
there is a perception piece there that is much more important than just a kind of theoretical discussion about how different countries view data in this in in, in this kind of context. It's a good point. I mean, we think about like our clients who are multinationals, they're suddenly looking at these compliance requirements that are popping up like mushrooms. And so, you know, especially in like in, 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 in APAC, because it is so many disparate countries and it covers such a large volume of population. Some of our clients have operations, 10 plus countries. And what they're seeing is that they have requirements that, again, like think about it in a personal data context, it does have those similarities around some of those broad principles, but there's different aspects of reporting. Should there be an incident? There's different aspects of, of what is, you know, what is, what is the, the, um, the definition and, and how much personal data is considered, you know, sensitive in some cases or not. So it becomes something for our clients. It, it's, it's, it not only is this, is it new to be regulated in this way, but it's quickly becoming very, very complex. And that's something that, you know, certainly in Asia, we're certainly, I mean, companies that struggle is too strong a word, but, it becomes a like an almost a Sisyphean task where you're just kind of going back up and back down again for every country. So that kind of brings us on to another topic I wanted to approach with you guys. We've been speaking about data. Are we looking purely from the data perspective or are we starting to think about this from a system, software, hardware perspective as well? Or is that the future of these regulations? I mean, I don't want us to go into necessarily sanctions and what we're seeing at a very targeted level, but I think it'll be interesting to get your views on whether or not regulators are starting to move towards, we need to think about this from the entire ecosystem's perspective, not just the data perspective. In Europe and, and I think elsewhere as well, particularly with the developments that we've seen in terms of not just data breaches, but actually cybersecurity in, in its totality, the, the kind of severity, the scale of the attacks, particularly, you know, when it takes out critical services, critical suppliers, critical aspects of a country's, you know, foundation, then that becomes very much top of mind. And I think that's really why we're seeing initiatives like the NIST 2 directive, which is very much cybersecurity focused, right? This is, this is you know, these are the controls you need to have in place. This is the minimum level that we need to have with the, the critical industries. Interestingly, there is, is that expansion of the, the industries and organizations that are affected by or, or essentially fall under it. I think that's a really interesting piece as well in terms of what is defined as critical, um, which you know, partly something that we realize when it's taken away, uh, which which it has been, you know, but through through kind of cybersecurity events, essentially, well, okay, but this also fulfills a really important part. And how about the third parties? How about the 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 key suppliers here? So, in that respect, certainly on 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 Europe's end, you know, cybersecurity is a center part of the regulation that's happening in this space at the moment. We'll be back to the podcast in just a moment. But if you have any questions for Stina, Jim, or myself, please email us on cyber at controlrisks.com. And now back to the podcast. We do so much work around China um, because it's it's such a large economy that, that so much of Asia interacts with. But it's really interesting because their perspective on looking at technology and their understanding that they have a in, a, in sort of a, at a national level, that they have a supply chain around Android, around chips that are manufactured elsewhere, around um, Windows, the ubiquity of Windows, you know. And so 
they're very, very aware that that this is the case. And again, and it's and, and Cena, I think you're exactly right to 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 focus this around critical infrastructure because that's where they've prioritized it. But we've seen where now you know there's an aspect where they're beginning to you know if you're using foreign technology around some of these cybersecurity functions, that in China you need to go and you need to evaluate that. Depending if you're if you're a critical infrastructure, you've got to do essentially a, a risk assessment around it. And you know it's very nascent, but really what they're what they're really driving at is to make sure that that some of these risks are recognized and they're floated up because what they don't want to have happen is is that for whatever reason and maybe you know it's it's some future state depending how their uh, you know global relationships go that they may be cut off to to some technology and that for them you know technology is so central to their economic development plans that 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 you know they want to start understanding where those dependencies are and try to address it the second part of that scene, which also I think is 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 interesting, is that how you know in this context where where you're using um, you know foreign technology, what we're starting to see is vulnerability reporting requirements. So, if you're a software vendor and if you're selling software in China, you now have a certain amount of time once you've once you've identified the different vulnerability in your in your and it could be at the firmware level, you know, a hardware, you know, for whatever it may be. But um, that you have to report that to them, and you know, within a certain amount of time. Again, that's very, very nascent. It's just starting out, but you can see how they're thinking about how some of these threats can kind of, you know, really evolve into significant risks. And so, you know, the policymakers, as policymakers anywhere do, is to is to respond with regulation, and that's driving, you know, increasingly more complex compliance requirements. Jim, that also echoes part of the logic behind the SEC's planned rules that are yet to come into force, but they're very much focused around reporting for the greater good of the, in this case, the the, the SEC's sort of uh, own understanding of the sector's resilience. That brings quite a challenge at an individual organizational level, I assume. And I, I, I kind of want to jump into now what we see as the real pain points that our clients are experiencing uh, in this space, because from what you've both described, there is a mercurial, almost philosophical aspect to some of these regulations. There is a political and national security motivation behind a lot of these regulations. And there are very tactical implications at, to your point, Jim, the firmware level at times. So how do you see organizations across the world deal with this issue? Can they deal with it? And if so, how do they deal with it? It's a good question. So what we've seen in, in, in I mean, because think about this is like for, you know, for most of our clients and Nick, we've talked about this in the past around the shared services model and how, you know, increasing regulation is starting to really strain how that works. But also think about a compliance function. So those compliance functions, depending on the sector that you're in, is typically focused on these operational issues. And in some cases, you know, um, uh, I mean, legal issues, right? So it's, it doesn't necessarily focus on how technology or information is being, you know, managed or processed. But now that's changing, and so it's it's this function that it crosses in between sort of an IT and a cybersecurity organization, as well as a, a sort of a legal and a compliance function. And they don't speak the same language, these guys, do they? I, we've all been in meetings where you have that sort of lexicon of cyber that comes in and then you've got the legal lexicon and everybody looks at each other and no one understands each other. You can imagine I've been on these three-sided conversations where you have an IT person locally in a country, 
you have a regional, you know, um, compliance lead, and then you've got a, you know, a, like a bunch of people from legal and, and IT sitting around on a conference table at headquarters, and none of them. I mean, maybe they speak the different languages, anyways. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, but when they're talking about what 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 to do next, I mean, it's 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 really hard because these things fall in the gaps, and you know, organizations need to start adjusting, and that's some of the work that we've started just started to do in the last year or so. And Stina, you've seen the same thing in Europe, or is there maybe a bit more of a, look, we understand or we try to understand European Union regulations, and Lord knows that's in itself quite a cryptic field, uh, or is it equally as challenging and confusing in the EU as well? I mean, I, I, I think it is challenging, but, but at least at the point we're at now, I think a lot of these challenges you know, started to be dealt with already, you know, this is, has has been in place now for a while. There has been, you know, that expectation. EU regulation is also, in a sense, um, a bit easier because it, it is transparent. It is easy to kind of track. It does take time and it's it's quite a convoluted process, but it's not impossible to find out where things are going, when it's going to happen, when those obligations come. I think one of the, the key challenges um, that we're hearing is exactly to the point that we were talking about earlier, that divergence, that kind of, okay, well, we're, we are in the EU, but we're also in India, we're also in South America or, or wherever else. How do we map this out? How do we figure out a system that works? What can be shared? What can't? What systems can 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 kind of connect to each other across these different oper- operations? I think those challenges um, come come more and more. And I think to your point, Nick as well on on the SEC. I think that's a really interesting development and one which will require much less of a compliance focus and much more of a actually we need to be on top of this front kind of start to finish because essentially that reporting requirement, that transparency, I think is something that we'll see more and more of being a requirement. Stina, there is a, a huge underlying assumption behind what you're describing here, which you need to know where your data even is today. Because if you're looking at that interconnectivity, where where data might come from, where it might go to, who owns it, which systems store it, what fundamentally what we need is we need to know where our data sits. Is that something that's already been dealt with? Or most of the times when you're talking to client organizations, it's still a real challenge. I think, I mean, the additional challenge to that actually is, is coming back to Jim's point earlier, what is defined as as personal data in the specific jurisdiction where you are, because that there is a divergence there as well. So you need quite minute understanding of where is this actually going. And I think that's, you know, certainly a key part of, of this challenge and something that Whereas we can say that GDPR, okay, fine, you know, we have that framework here. These are still evolving um, in terms of what's happening elsewhere, how it's interpreted, how it's enforced. That challenge is still very much um, on the table of clients to, to kind of figure out, well, what 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 does this new regulation here means for for the data that we hold? What data do we hold um, exactly as as you described, Nick? Yeah, and, and look, I mean, everyone talks about information governance. Almost everyone's really bad at it. And when, you know, either they, they overclassify or underclassify, they don't really track where things are. They don't really take like an asset register and uh, approach to it. And, uh, you know, just depending where you are and depending what business you're in, you can't do that anymore. It, it just, it just, it, it's, it's because 
think about this in a, in a, in a Chinese context. Um, we're working with a client recently around this issue, and there, you know, there's the new cross-border data regulations in China that will come into effect in September. That really, you know, create like a very, very structured, very convoluted process where to go through to say whether or not you can export, you know, certain classes of data out, out of the country. For most of our clients, they actually don't hold that kind of data, but Unless you have a process whereby you're classifying the data and you've established what that criteria is and you can demonstrate that, okay, actually, this is just internal business data that's not really relevant, it's not regulated. Um, if you can't do that, then you're going to you get caught up in this in this loop of of trying to comply with with a regulation that doesn't necessarily apply to you, and so it becomes really really challenging. So it's it's um, it's it's important to start thinking about governance as a real function, and we've seen you know. Again, I think, Sina, you, you know better than I, but I think in Europe, you know, that DPO role has really matured very quickly in the last few years, um, you know, mostly because of the re requirements and penalties that it's the big stick that makes these things happen. Right. But that, that, but that role has really matured. And so they've really gotten a handle on it. But, you know, this other aspect of information that may have national security implications. Right. And, and, um, and I think we're starting to see we certainly see that in China. We're starting to see it in some other countries. That's the part where it can be very, very vague. And if you don't know what it is, you know, then you suddenly have a potential compliance gap, which makes people very uncomfortable. It's interesting you're saying this, Jim, because what I'm understanding you guys are saying is the first step is not just about understanding the regulation and what the actual wording of the regulation says. It's even understanding your own business and whether or not there is applicability in what you're doing today and most likely what you're doing tomorrow. To your point about having governance as an actual function or information governance as an actual function in an organization, it's also about future-proofing because, and Stina, you said this earlier, and I really like that sentence, every organization is a technology organization today. Ten years ago, no one would have called themselves a technology organization outside of the tech sector. And so this means that today, whilst we are technology organizations, in the future, we may be AI-driven organizations. We may be quantum computing-driven organizations. I'm being slightly facetious here, but to really mark the point that it's about understanding your organization today and tomorrow. And I want to go back to your stick idea, Jim. Um, all of this is on paper right now. What's enforcement like? What are you guys seeing in terms of the, if you fail to do this, to understand where your data is, to understand whether or not you're subject to these regulations, and ultimately the controls that you need to put in place, localization, access controls on the flows of data, reporting requirements, what happens if you don't do it? What have you guys seen in the enforcement space? Well, certainly like, look, APAC, it's a little bit all over the place, but you know, first and foremost on the personal data side, um, the maturity of the enforcement of that has accelerated very, very quickly. The enforcement aspect around personal information is really, you know, to the countries that have it in place, and that's most of them now, um, the maturity on that has, has gone very, very quickly. But that in some ways is the easy part because it's, it's easier to identify, it's easy to put your finger on that. But what we've seen is that the aspect around cybersecurity regulation, that's where things are really starting, still starting to emerge. So most of the cybersecurity regulation, as we talked about before, is focused on critical infrastructure. But what we've seen is that, you know, depending on, you know, what country you're in. So for example, I'm based in Singapore, although 
unfortunately now I'm, I'm just outside the 12th arrondissement in Paris. But um, but in, in, in Singapore, they have like a very, very comprehensive, you know, um, cybersecurity regulation that involves mandatory reporting if you're critical infrastructure, that involves mandatory exercises if you're critical infrastructure, that in some cases um, can even extend to, to, to liability at the leadership level. So they've, they've really, really developed it. We've also seen in India, for example, <laughs> that now in India, and um, we'll see about how this actually shakes out, virtually every cybersecurity incident has to be reported to the India CERT, like this you know, computer incident response team, which India is a very big country. It's a really, really big country. That's really, really hard to do. So how that would be enforced, we don't know. But um, again, you know, if you look at it in some ways, if you look at the the sort of the the governmental, uh, for lack of a better word, sort of the maturity of the governance of a country, you can see very very quickly how how well they would um, they would execute and enforce some of these regulations. Australia is another example. They've gone very very quickly to uh, like on that maturity path around regulating critical infrastructure and introducing the kinds of reporting requirements, and that's in play today. Yeah, and I think I mean from obviously I think. Most of us have seen the the progress in terms of enforcement of of GDPR and and, and data protection in 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 the EU. I mean, one of one of the aspects of that, you know, to add to that kind of challenging environment is is the divergence and the, the variance across different member states and and to what extent this is um, followed up on and enforced. And this is a challenge with with EU level. Uh, regulations. So I think that's also an aspect to a local interpretation. There are countries that are stricter, um, that are more challenging. There are uh, enforcement bodies in, in countries that, that will take uh, a certain view uh, on this as well. Um, and I think that that reporting piece is really interesting um, as well, just in terms of a way of, of enforcing, obviously not uh, speaking specifically about GDPR, but but how that is coming in more and more into particularly that critical infrastructure sector of, of you have to tell someone, you have to be transparent, we need to know what is going on, um, which of course carries with it, as you said, Nick, you know, a lot of challenges in terms of how, how as an organization, you manage everything that is attached to those kind of reporting uh, reporting requirements. I think the jury is probably still out in terms of the US, although there were federal level or state level um, regulations that have started to emerge and that include data breach reporting requirements, that include some technical controls and some risk management processes to be in place. It's still very nascent. I want to now focus and ask you guys what you see the future of the space to be, because listening to both of you, Part of me is very concerned about how any organization, any multinational organization tomorrow will be able to adapt. You both have said we are at the very beginning of this. We are both in terms of the scope of the regulations and the enforcement processes behind them. We started with the easy thing, personal information. We've started with data. We're moving now to critical infrastructure. The definition itself of critical infrastructure is going to change. I mean, we've seen this with COVID and how quickly we rediscovered the criticality of pharmaceutical industries, of supply chains around the world. Are we heading towards a very bleak future for any IT department where they will have to have a completely replicated 
duplicated, triplicated, whatever we want to say, infrastructure processes for data management that comply with every piece of local regulations around the world, or at least where they operate or where their clients and suppliers are, because that data still needs to be hosted. It still needs to be protected. Or is there something more optimistic on the horizon? Maybe a global regulatory regime? I don't know if that's optimistic. I am a European after all. We like these kind of things. But uh, um, Or is there is there something else out there that makes us think, okay, we're, go- we're not going to have 209 different compliance frameworks to operate in, in cyber? What do you guys think? There's a couple of different variables when we think about the, the direction that technology is going in, right? Mobility and the cloud, right? So, so those are things that 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 you know all of our clients are sort of, are somewhere on that journey around adapting to that to that to that model. So, as you think about okay, if everything's going up in the cloud, then the second part of that is to say that now that it's in the cloud, can we start to move things around to to comply with some of these things? So what we have seen is that some of some service providers, you know, cloud service providers of one kind or another at varying levels of the stack. I mean, because some of the telecom level, some of them sort of at the Internet level are starting to push out solutions that can say, OK, we can help you comply. We can you know, we can store this this personal data for you in country, you know, under these conditions to meet some of these compliance requirements. So I fully expect that, you know. I, I think that the market is is realized that there's a gap there, and people are beginning to you know, companies are beginning to move to fill that. <laughs> but that's not that <laughs> that's the easy part. The hard part again, it goes back to the idea: what is the data that we have? What are the systems that we're using to process it? How does it move around and stuff like that? So you know how I would think of and and, and again, I mean, I, I I tend to go back to China just because so many of the issues are are are, are really at the forefront there right now. But you know what we've seen is that the regulators are conscious that. You cannot flip on a dime. You can't, you know, turn 90 degrees um, and and go off in a different direction so quickly. So they're introducing the regulations, but they know that there's going to be a bleed in time, if you will, to to as as, as companies adapt and, and as as technology emerges. So what I would expect is, you know, for the for the short term, the next few years, just continued problems. Um, but what we haven't seen is is you know. Um, a significant, you know, regulatory action. I mean, there have been there have been big breaches and there's been big reactions to it, but we haven't seen, you know, like that sort of, um, you know, that sort that sort of catastrophic regulatory action around that. The last piece to that point, though, is that remember, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier on the supply chain. Depending how sometimes some of these geopolitical relationships. That can also, you can imagine how if those relationships start to fracture, that that can make those regulatory points suddenly a priority for enforcement. And that can start to, that can drive change much, much faster than people are, are accustomed to. Because in our experience, those national security questions that policymakers have, they will trump the, the you know, the business costs or the efficiency question or things like that, because they do see these, these problems as being so central to the, to the modern, just the modern world. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it's you know we've talked a lot about the challenges and 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 all the the kind of these aspects to it, and and I think it's just a matter of you know the, this is going to be as Jim said, this is this is going to continue. This is not going to to kind of all of a sudden resolve itself into a nice global uh, kind of framework that everyone that everyone follows. But I think a key piece of that as well is is 
you know, for future proofing is understanding, you know, as we've said, the importance of the data you hold, the 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 nature of the technology that you're involved with, your supply chains, what you're dependent on, and understand where that sits and and not be caught off guard, I think is the key. So so, you know, some of these regulations might come quickly. A lot of them take time. They will, as Jim said, you know, there will be a bit of a bleeding time. There will be uh, something to to kind of get everything sorted, but to not be caught off guard at that point, uh, but to actually stay on top of this and understand, all right, well, how will this actually impact and, and, and what we'll do? And do that not so much, again, from that point of, yes, it is a compliance issue at, at the core, but all of these trends are, you know, these are mega trends. These are not just related to regulation. Don't let regulation be the principal driver of action, but rather look at what is actually, what do we need to do actually to protect and make sure that our systems are safe, that we're not going to be the ones caught out, that we're not going to be the ones uh, called out for not doing enough, which is obviously a big task and, and, and you know, sits across much more departments than just the IT. But fundamentally, that's where we're at at the moment. We need to recognize the importance of data, of technology for national security for you know all of these aspects privacy and, and and individual rights all of these things and it that, that's just not going going away in in my view at least but there's some some hope at the end of the tunnel or some light at the end of the tunnel as jim said if, if technology itself can become a proponent of sorting this compliance or helping to sort that compliance challenge and, and steen i really like what you've described here and i would maybe put a, a little different twist to it even if the compliance aspect is what's driving you, don't let it be the sole objective. Because what we're hearing here is, great, you know, you're worried and your board might be worried or your executives might be worried about this new development in the compliance space. Use that as the impetus to build something that will be sustainable, not just from a compliance perspective, but also from a risk management, from a security perspective, and adapt to the future of your own tech stack and your organization, but also of the threat landscape. Because ultimately, if everything's becoming a national security consideration in tech space, the threat landscape will be a potential threat to that national security component. I want to close off our discussion today, guys, because there's obviously a lot more that we could talk about by, by throwing maybe a difficult question over to you guys, but Jim, you, you made reference, so I will blame this on you. Uh, you made reference to the fact that we have yet to see that enforcement that leads to a company collapse. Do either of you think we are today in a world where this could happen, where following a data breach or following a breach in compliance to cybersecurity or data protection regulation, a company goes out of business. I would say this, Nick, maybe collapse is the wrong word. Maybe it's the breakup, right? So this aspect of, look, there's there's larger issues around anti, anti-monopoly concerns. And, and, and this is found all across the world. This is, a, this is to, to a certain extent, regardless of what the political culture of a particular country is. Um, these tech giants grew to be giants in a way, in a, in a space that had very light regulation. And so now, again, from that national security perspective, that, you know, um, you know, policymakers look at it and say, wow, that's a lot of eggs in that basket. And so that aspect of, of you know, that if should there be a breach, 
would that start to drive a change in sort of anti-monopoly legislation targeting, you know, the uh, the tech giants? And there, I mean, there's a bigger issue around that as well, which is sort of the very sort of tenuous relationship that these tech giants have with their, I mean, various political counterpart, you know, the governments that regulate them all around the world. And that's a really, really complex relationship. So that to me is it, it's it's maybe it's not so much like a like a like a. Uh, a catastrophic cybersecurity event as opposed to a catastrophic regulatory event. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that those points really resonate as well. I think there is um, an element of, of of competition in this also from, from Europe and certainly in the regulation that we see from, from European perspective. I think there's also a, a willingness to, to, to send clear signals, but, you know, going from that to, to actually a point where... Um, this would, in an EU kind of setting, uh, we would have that kind of outcome. I see is highly unlikely, uh, just because of the nature of of um, of the region and, and and regulatory enforcement. Um, but I do think, you know, it's to 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 Jim's point, that competition piece is always in 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 the kind of foreground uh, in terms of these issues and 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 you know controlling what's happening in that in that space. Well, thank you both so much for answering what is a particularly thorny question. And I really enjoyed all of your insights in today's podcast. So, Stina, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for an interesting discussion. And Jim, obviously, thank you so much for taking some time off in what I understand is a particularly difficult heat wave in Paris at the moment. Indeed. Uh, thanks very much, Nick. My pleasure. And always a pleasure to see you. We have a whole host of episodes coming soon to Decrypt, covering the most crucial topics, breaking news, and strategic horizon scanning within the world of cyber that you need to be aware of. With analysis and discussion from our experts located around the world, subscribe to Control Risks Decrypt as we help you make sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting your business. For more information on how we can help you build a resilient, compliant, and secure organization realizing the benefits of technology, visit us at www.controlrisks.com. And remember, our experts are only ever one email away. Email us at cyber at controlrisks.com. Thank you.